So let's pray together. Oh God, we need you. We need you every moment. We need you to be with us now as we read your word, as we proclaim your word. We pray that you would guide us by your spirit, that this day would be pleasing unto you, that we would learn something more of your great teaching this day. Come again, Holy Spirit, fill us, that your will would be done and your word would be proclaimed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're looking at John 16, uh, verses 25 to 33 uh, this morning. And Jesus is still talking, he's still teaching uh, his disciples. Uh, and he said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. The disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Well, a retired teacher was talking about the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, and so forth. And this teacher said, if the disciples were like some of my students, their response to the Beatitudes might have been this. Do we need to write this down? Uh, hey, are we supposed to know this? Will this be on the test? Do we have to turn this in? Uh, uh, teacher, I don't have any paper. Uh, can I go to the little boy's room? John's disciples didn't have to learn this. And what does this have to do with real life? And then Jesus wept. It's never been easy being a teacher, then or now. But praise God for great teachers. We can probably all name teachers that have deeply impacted our lives. And Jesus was a masterful teacher. His teaching, of course, continues just to be things that guide us and change us even now. We continue to, to go back to his teaching and his word over and over again. And Jesus was always teaching his disciples. And from the time of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for his departure. And so he began to intensify his teaching. 
He, he taught that he must be lifted up on the cross. He taught that he came to save the world. He, he washed the disciples' feet, and he taught that they too must serve one another in that way. He, he gave us a new commandment to love one another. He taught that he was preparing a place for us to go, and, and he was getting it ready even now, and he was the way and the truth and the life. He taught that he's the true vine and we must abide in him. He taught about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Last week we heard that he gave a hope-filled teaching of our sorrow being turned into joy. In the coming weeks we're going to see in John 17 that even while praying, Jesus was still teaching. He teaches us how to pray. He's going to teach us in that prayer some of the great marks of the church. And in our text today, there are numerous teachings. And so I just want to look at a few of those. And it begins, verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And the word translated figures of speech is the word uh, for parables. And Jesus is saying, look, up until this time, I've been using parables. And I've been using sayings that are difficult to understand. But the time is coming, and in fact has come, in which I'm going to begin to plainly teach you. And the first thing he says plainly to them is verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And going back to verses 23 and 24, in that day you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. His point here is that the relationship is changing. Up until this point, they've been going to Jesus with their questions. And it doesn't mean they haven't been praying, but they've been going directly to Jesus with their questions. And Jesus is leaving. He's going back to the Father. And so from now on, they're going to ask God directly, but ask it in Jesus' name. Jesus is teaching all of us about prayer. He teaches us first the nature of prayer. If I counted correctly, Jesus used the word ask six times in verses 23 to 26. Prayer is asking God. Very simple. And it's a great privilege. As the disciples boldly asked Jesus their questions, and they asked Jesus for certain things, he's saying, now you can go boldly to the Father and ask Him. And you can go knowing that your requests will be granted. But there is a condition that Jesus gives us. Three times in these same verses, He says, ask in My name. Ask in My name. So what does it mean to pray to the Father in Jesus' name? Well, first praying in Jesus' name means that you and I identify with Jesus. That we're identifying as believers in Jesus Christ. To pray in the name of Jesus is to come believing Jesus is fully divine and fully the Son of God. To pray in the name of Jesus is to believe that He saved us by His death and His resurrection. Second, praying in the name of Jesus means that you and I are going praying in Jesus' merit alone. 
that our prayer is based on His merit, not our own. On our own, we have nothing to bring. Really, we have no right to come to before God. Uh, think about it in terms of cashing a check. Uh, I know a lot of us don't carry checks anymore. I, I get it. We use debit cards and other things. But think about using a check. When you take a check to the bank and you cash it or you deposit it into your account, it's really not based on your merit. Oh, the bank might well take it because they know you, but ultimately the value of that check is based on the merit of the person who wrote it. It's based on whether or not they have enough funds in their account. The great pastor and theologian R.A. Torrey, using this illustration of a check, said this, When I go to the bank of heaven, when I go to God in prayer, I have nothing deposited there. I have absolutely no credit there. And if I go in my own name, I will get nothing. But Jesus Christ has unlimited credit in heaven, and He has granted to me the privilege of going to the bank with His name on my checks. And when I thus go, my prayers will be honored. It's an imperfect example, but praying in Jesus' name is recognizing that we go because, and we can go because of Jesus' merit. We can pray to God because of what Jesus has done, because He's given His life for our salvation. He's given us the privilege of going to the Lord in prayer. Third, praying in Jesus' name means praying in line with Christ's character and Christ's purposes. It means praying as Christ would pray. It means not praying for selfish desires, but seeking what Jesus would want. We'll look next week at John 17 and the great high priestly prayer there. But one thing we're going to see is that only one time in that prayer does Jesus pray for himself. Every other petition in that prayer is for either the disciples or for those who will believe after the disciples. Those who will come to believe by their faith. You see, we can bring our own desires, but it's not so much about save self. It's about praying that God's will be done in people's lives, that God's will be done in our churches, that God's will be done in the world. Praying in Jesus' name is praying as Jesus taught. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want to be clear. I want to be very clear that God gave us the privilege of praying to the Father in the name of Jesus because God loves us. Because God loves us. You see, after speaking about praying to the Father in His name, Jesus immediately declares, verse 27, For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. Because we believe in Jesus, we have access to the Father. And we need to be clear that you and I have this access to God because God first loved us. Because He first loved us. 
I personally have a strong conviction that I should pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's through Jesus and what Jesus did that I have the privilege and the right to come in prayer to the Father. It's because of His merit. But, that said, we need to understand that what Jesus is teaching is that God Himself made the way clear by His love. By His love. You see, some people make this mistake of thinking of, of God is angry and somehow what you got to do is you got to pray in Jesus' name and that will appease the Father. They, they think God is angry and Jesus is gentle. And they believe somehow Jesus changed the attitude of God. No, God is love. God always has been love. God is love now and God will always be love. People make the awful mistake of equating the God of the Old Testament with wrath and the God of the New Testament with love. First of all, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change. God is just. God does punish. But God is not angry and wrathful. Not even in the Old Testament. I found at least eight places in the Old Testament where it says very clearly that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Here's an example in Nehemiah 9. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. Another example, Numbers 14. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But He will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. This is an important example because it makes clear that God abounds in love. He abounds in love, but He's also just, beloved. And there are consequences for our sins. There are consequences for our sins that can impact our families to the third and the fourth generations. But God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I know that he's been incredibly patient with this stiff-necked man. Time after time after time, he abounds in steadfast love. As the great commentator William Barclay said, Jesus did not die to change God into love. He died to show us that God is love. He came not because God so hated the world, but He came because God so loved the world. God is love. Not only does Jesus teach us about God's love in this text, but He gives us a glimpse of some of the other great virtues of Christianity. Faith, hope, and love. We've already talked about love. But in verses 27 and verses 30 to 31, there are references to belief and faith and the disciples believing. Verse 33, we have a reference to hope. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, hope, have hope. I have overcome 
the world. The three virtues of faith, hope, and love have always been central to the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Thessalonians 1, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the joy of salvation. I'm not going to expand much on faith and hope this morning, but I want you to see that Jesus is a masterful teacher. I want you to see what this great teacher Jesus is doing. He's not only our Savior, but He's a wonderful, wonderful teacher uh, in terms of how He just shares things in the course of living. He's already laying the groundwork for these great virtues in the final moments with His disciples. Jesus is comforting the disciples by reassuring them of the Father's love for them. He's bolstering their sagging faith. He's reminding them of, the, of their hope and their ultimate victory over trials and tribulations. He's once again preparing them for the great trial as they face His death. And He's teaching us how we can face trials in our own lives. I've been using... Uh, the Lectio 365 app to guide my daily time of prayer. And this week, this past week, there's been a focus on Moses and his time in the wilderness. And it was on his time after he failed his first test of leadership. Remember, Moses became angry. And he, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And he fled into the wilderness of Midian where he would spend about, uh, until he was 40, he would remain there. But it was there that he first encountered God as God spoke from the midst of a burning bush. In reflecting on Moses' failed trial and the subsequent encounter with God, the authors of, Lectio, of the Lectio app asked this question, these questions. What if my greatest personal battle is the key to my calling? What if my greatest personal battle is the key to my calling and my greatest impact on the lives of others? What if my test becomes my triumph and my testimony? Think about that. What if my test even a test I'm in right now, that God's using it to become my triumph and my testimony. Moses didn't handle his first test very well. But he grew from it. The disciples didn't handle their trial very well. Initially, the death of Jesus sent them in a spiral down. And they fled to an upper room to hide and to grieve. We remember last week that those were days of great struggle. 
They were in the wilderness, so to speak. But their tests became their triumph, and they began to remember the great teachings of Jesus, and their triumph and His teachings became their great testimony. So maybe, I was thinking this morning that just maybe, what Jesus is teaching us is that the next time we're in a trial, or maybe if you're in one now, in the wilderness, maybe we can remember that God is using that to send us deeper into a dependence upon Him in faithful prayer. Maybe He's wanting us to rely more on the truth that God loves us. That God really loves us despite the trial we may be going through. Maybe He's saying to someone even now, Oh, beloved, I know you're doubting. I know the virtue of faith is hard to come by right now. But hold on. Hold on. And trust me. Have hope. Believe that I have overcome the world. Perhaps he's saying to you even now, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. Walk with me, says Jesus. And we'll turn this test into a triumph and a great testimony. Let's pray together. Lord, I have the privilege of being the under-shepherd, your under-shepherd that seeks to look over this, your flock. And so I know, and you know even better, that there's some tests going on. There's some trials in this faith community even now. There's some struggles that we're walking through. There's perhaps even one among us or two that they feel like they've been in a wilderness a long time, Lord. And as we talked last week about turning their struggles into joy, we pray that you would give them even now faith, hope, and love. Show us that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That you've always been love. And you've always loved us. You loved us so much you sent your Son. He gave His life for us, but it was all out of your love. Oh, remind us even now where we're struggling that nothing, absolutely nothing in life nor death can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. Give us faith, Lord. Give us hope. Give us assurance even now that we will come through this trial. Give us hope that you're hearing our prayers and you're answering us in ways we don't even understand. Give us faith, hope, and love. These three, may they abide. But the greatest of these is indeed your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, today and forevermore. Amen.